Chapter 2, Part 2 of The Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka, translated by Ian Johnston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. On one occasion, about one month had already gone by since Gregor's transformation, and there was now no particular reason any more for his sister to be startled at Gregor's appearance. She arrived a little earlier than usual, and came upon Gregor as he was still looking out the window, immobile, and well positioned to frighten someone. It would not have come as a surprise to Gregor if she had not come in, since his position was preventing her from opening the window immediately. But she not only did not step inside, she even retreated and shut the door. A stranger really might have concluded from this that Gregor had been lying in wait for her, and wanted to bite her. Of course, Gregor immediately concealed himself under the couch, but he had to wait until the noon meal before his sister returned, and she seemed much less calm than usual. From this he realized that his appearance was constantly intolerable to her, and must remain intolerable in future, and that she really had to exert a lot of self-control not to run away from a glimpse of only the small part of his body which stuck out from under the couch. In order to spur her even this side, one day he dragged the sheet on his back and onto the couch. This task took him four hours, and arranged it in such a way that he was now completely concealed, and his sister, even if she bent down, could not see him. If the sheet was not necessary as far as she was concerned, then she could remove it for it was clear enough that Gregor could not derive any pleasure from isolating himself away so completely. But she left the sheet just as it was, and Gregor believed he even caught a look of gratitude when, on one occasion, he carefully lifted up the sheet a little with his head to check as his sister took stock of the new arrangement. In the first two weeks his parents could not bring themselves to visit him, and he often heard how they fully acknowledged his sister's present work, whereas earlier they had often got annoyed at his sister because she had seemed to them a somewhat useless young woman. However, now both his father and his mother often waited in front of Gregor's door while his sister cleaned up inside, and as soon as she came out she had to explain in detail how things looked in the room, what Gregor had eaten, how he had behaved this time, and whether perhaps a slight improvement was perceptible. In any event, his mother comparatively soon wanted to visit Gregor, but his father and his sister restrained her, at first with reasons which Gregor listened to very attentively and which he completely endorsed. Later, however, they had to hold her back forcefully, and when she then cried, Let me go to Gregor, he's my unlucky son, don't you understand that I have to go to him? Gregor then thought that perhaps it would be a good thing if his mother came in, not every day, of course, but maybe once a week. She understood everything much better than his sister, who, in spite of her courage, was still a child, and, in the last analysis, had perhaps undertaken such a difficult task only out of childish recklessness. Gregor's wish to see his mother was soon realized. While during the day Gregor, out of consideration for his parents, did not want to show himself by the window, he couldn't crawl around very much on the few square meters of the floor, 
he found it difficult to bear lying quietly during the night, and soon eating no longer gave him the slightest pleasure. So, for diversion, he acquired the habit of crawling back and forth across the walls and ceiling. He was especially fond of hanging from the ceiling. The experience was quite different from lying on the floor. It was easier to breathe. A slight vibration went through his body, and in the midst of the almost happy amusement which Gregor found up there, it could happen that, to his own surprise, he let go and hit the floor. However, now he naturally controlled his body quite differently, and he did not injure himself in such a great fall. His sister noticed immediately the new amusement which Gregor had found for himself, for as he crept around he left behind here and there traces of his sticky stuff, and so she got the idea of making Gregor's creeping around as easy as possible, and thus of removing the furniture which got in the way, especially the chest of drawers and the writing-desk. But she was in no position to do this by herself. She did not dare to ask her father to help, and the servant-girl would certainly not have assisted her, for although this girl, about sixteen years old, had courageously remained since the dismissal of the previous cook, she had begged for the privilege of being allowed to stay permanently confined to the kitchen, and of having to open the door only in answer to a special summons. Thus his sister had no other choice but to involve his mother while his father was absent. His mother approached Gregor's room with cries of excited joy, but she fell silent at the door. Of course his sister first checked whether everything in the room was in order. Only then did she let her mother walk in. In great haste Gregor had drawn the sheet down even further and wrinkled it more. The whole thing really looked just like a coverlet thrown carelessly over the couch. On this occasion Gregor held back from spying out from under the sheet. Thus he refrained from looking at his mother this time, and was just happy that she had come. Come on, he's not visible, said his sister, and evidently led his mother by the hand. Now Gregor listened as these two weak women shifted the still heavy old chest of drawers from its position, and as his sister constantly took on herself the greater part of the work, without listening to the warnings of his mother, who was afraid that she would strain herself. The work lasted a long time. After about a quarter of an hour had already gone by, his mother said it would be better if they left the chest of drawers where it was, because, in the first place, it was too heavy, they would not be finished before his father's arrival, and leaving the chest of drawers in the middle of the room would block all Gregor's pathways, but, in the second place, they could not be certain that Gregor would be pleased with the removal of the furniture. To her the reverse seemed to be true. The sight of the empty walls pierced her right to the heart, and why should Gregor not feel the same, since he had been accustomed to the room furnishings for a long time, and in an empty room would feel himself abandoned? And it is not the case, his mother concluded very quietly, almost whispering, as if she wished to prevent Gregor, whose exact location she really didn't know, from hearing even the sound of her voice for she was convinced that he did not understand her words. And isn't it a fact that, by removing the furniture, we're showing that we're giving up all hope of any improvement, and are leaving him to his own resources without any consideration? I think it would be best if we tried to keep the room 
exactly in the condition it was in before, so that when Gregor returns to us, he finds everything unchanged and can forget the intervening time all the more easily. As he heard his mother's words, Gregor realized that the lack of all immediate human contact, together with the monotonous life surrounded by the family over the course of these two months, must have confused his understanding, because otherwise he couldn't explain to himself how he, in all seriousness, could have been so keen to have his room emptied. Was he really eager to let the warm room, comfortably furnished with pieces he had inherited, be turned into a cavern in which he would, of course, then be able to crawl about in all directions without disturbance, but at the same time with a quick and complete forgetting of his human past as well? Was he then at this point already on the verge of forgetting? And was it only the voice of his mother, which he had not heard for a long time, that had aroused him? Nothing was to be removed. Everything must remain. In his condition he could not function without the beneficial influences of his furniture. And if the furniture prevented him from carrying out his senseless crawling about all over the place, then there was no harm in that, but rather a great benefit. But his sister unfortunately thought otherwise. She had grown accustomed, certainly not without justification, so far as the discussion of matters concerning Gregor was concerned, to act as a special expert with respect to their parents. And so now the mother's advice was, for his sister, sufficient reason to insist on the removal, not only of the chest of drawers and the writing-desk, which were the only items she had thought about at first, but also of all the furniture, with the exception of the indispensable couch. Of course, it was not only childish defiance and her recent very unexpected and hard-won self-confidence which led her to this demand. She had also actually observed that Gregor needed a great deal of room to creep about. The furniture, on the other hand, as far as one could see, was not of the slightest use. But perhaps the enthusiastic sensibility of young women of her age also played a role. This feeling sought release at every opportunity, and with it Greta now felt tempted to want to make Gregor's situation even more terrifying so that then she would be able to do even more for him than now. For surely no one except Greta would ever trust themselves to enter a room in which Gregor ruled the empty walls all by himself. And so she did not let herself be dissuaded from her decision by her mother, who in this room seemed uncertain of herself in her sheer agitation, and soon kept quiet, helping his sister with all her energy to get the chest of drawers out of the room. Now, Gregor could still do without the chest of drawers, if need be, but the writing-desk really had to stay. And scarcely had the women left the room, with the chest of drawers groaning as they pushed it, when Gregor stuck his head out from under the sofa, to take a look how he could intervene, cautiously, and with as much consideration as possible. But unfortunately it was his mother who came back into the room first while Greta had her arms wrapped around the chest of drawers in the next room, and was rocking it back and forth by herself, without moving it from its position. His mother was not used to the sight of Gregor. He could have made her ill, and so, frightened, Gregor scurried back right to the other end of the sofa. But he could no longer prevent the sheet from moving forward a little, 
That was enough to catch his mother's attention. She came to a halt, stood still for a moment, and then went back to Greta. Although Gregor kept repeating to himself over and over that really nothing unusual was going on, that only a few pieces of furniture were being rearranged, he soon had to admit to himself that the movements of the women to and fro, their quiet conversations, and the scratching of the furniture on the floor, affected him like a great swollen commotion on all sides, and, so firmly was he pulling in his head and legs and pressing his body into the floor, he had to tell himself unequivocally that he wouldn't be able to endure all this much longer. They were cleaning out his room, taking away from him everything he cherished. They had already dragged out the chest of drawers in which the fret saw and the other tools were kept, and they were now loosening the writing desk, which was fixed tight to the floor, the desk on which he, as a business student, a school student, indeed even as an elementary school student, had written out his assignments. At that moment he really didn't have any more time to check the good intentions of the two women, whose existence he had in any case almost forgotten, because in their exhaustion they were working really silently, and the heavy stumbling of their feet was the only sound to be heard. And so he scuttled out. The women were just propping themselves up on the writing-desk in the next room to take a breather, changing the direction of his path four times. He really didn't know what he should rescue first. Then he saw hanging conspicuously on the wall, which was otherwise already empty, the picture of the woman dressed in nothing but fur. He quickly scurried up over to it and pressed himself against the glass which held it in place, and which made his hot abdomen feel good. At least this picture, which Gregor at the moment completely concealed, surely no one would now take away. He twisted his head towards the door of the living-room to observe the women as they came back in. They had not allowed themselves very much rest, and were coming back right away. Greta had placed her arm around her mother and held her tightly. "'So what should we take now?' said Greta, and looked around her. Then her glance met Gregor's from the wall. She kept her composure only because her mother was there. She bent her face towards her mother in order to prevent her from looking around, and said, although in a trembling voice and too quickly, "'Come, wouldn't it be better to go back in the living-room for just another moment?' Greta's purpose was clear to Gregor. She wanted to bring his mother to a safe place, and then chase him down from the wall. "'Well, let her just try it.' He squatted on the picture and did not hand it over. He would sooner spring into Greta's face. But Greta's words had immediately made the mother very uneasy. She walked to the side, caught sight of the enormous brown splotch on the flowered wallpaper, and, before she became truly aware that what she was looking at was Gregor, screamed out in a high-pitched, raw voice, "'Oh, God! Oh, God!' and fell with outstretched arms, as if she was surrendering everything, down onto the couch, and lay there, motionless. "'Gregor, you—' cried out his sister with a raised fist and an urgent glare. Since his transformation, these were the first words which he had directed right at him. She ran into the room next door to bring some spirits or other with which she could revive her mother from her fainting spell. Gregor wanted to help as well. There was time enough to save the picture, but he was stuck fast on the glass and had to tear himself loose forcefully. Then he also scurried into the next room as if he could give his sister some advice, as in earlier times. But then he had to stand there idly behind her while she rummaged among various small bottles. 
Still she was frightened when she turned around. A bottle fell onto the floor and shattered. A splinter of glass wounded Gregor in the face. Some corrosive medicine or other dripped over him. Now, without lingering any longer, Greta took as many small bottles as she could hold and ran with them into her mother. She slammed the door shut with her foot. Gregor was now shut off from his mother, who was perhaps near death thanks to him. He could not open the door, and he did not want to chase away his sister, who had to remain with her mother. At this point he had nothing to do but wait, and, overwhelmed with self-reproach and worry, he began to creep and crawl over everything, walls, furniture, and ceiling. Finally, in his despair, as the entire room started to spin around him, he fell onto the middle of the large table. A short time elapsed. Gregor lay there limply. All around was still. Perhaps that was a good sign. Then there was a ring at the door. The servant girl was naturally shut up in her kitchen, and therefore Greta had to go to open the door. The father had arrived. What's happened? were his first words. Greta's appearance had told him everything. Greta replied with a dull voice. Evidently she was pressing her face into her father's chest. Mother fainted. She's getting better now. Gregor has broken loose. Yes, I have expected that, said his father. I always told you that, but you women don't want to listen. It was clear to Gregor that his father had badly misunderstood Greta's short message, and was assuming that Gregor had committed some violent crime or other. Thus, Gregor now had to find his father to calm him down, for he had neither the time nor the ability to explain things to him, and so he rushed away to the door of his room and pushed himself against it, so that his father could see right away as he entered from the hall that Gregor fully intended to return at once to his room that it was not necessary to drive him back, but that one only needed to open the door, and he would disappear immediately. But his father was not in the mood to observe such niceties. Ah! he yelled as soon as he entered, with a tone as if he were all at once angry and pleased. Gregor pulled his head back from the door and raised it in the direction of his father, he had not really pictured his father as he now stood there. Of course, what with his new style of creeping all around, he had in the past while neglected to pay attention to what was going on in the rest of the apartment, as he had done before, and really should have grasped the fact that he would encounter different conditions. Nevertheless, nevertheless, was that still his father? Was that the same man who had lain exhausted and buried in bed in earlier days when Gregor was setting out on a business trip? And who had received him on the evenings of his return in a sleeping-gown and armchair, totally incapable of standing up, who had only lifted his arm as a sign of happiness, and who, in their rare strolls together a few Sundays a year and on the important holidays, made his way slowly forwards between Gregor and his mother, who themselves moved slowly, always a bit more slowly than them, bundled up in his old coat all the time setting down his walking-stick carefully, and who, when he had wanted to say something, almost always stood still and gathered his entourage around him. But now he was standing up really straight, dressed in a tight-fitting blue uniform with gold buttons, 
like the one servants were in a banking company. Above the high stiff collar of his jacket his firm double chin stuck out prominently. Beneath his bushy eyebrows the glance of his black eyes was freshly penetrating and alert. His otherwise dishevelled white hair was combed down into a carefully exact shining part. He threw his cap, on which a gold monogram, apparently the symbol of the bank, was affixed, in an arc across the entire room onto the sofa, and moved, throwing back the edge of the long coat of his uniform, with his hands in his trouser pockets, and a grim face right up to Gregor. He really didn't know what he had in mind, but he raised his foot uncommonly high anyway, and Gregor was astonished at the gigantic size of the sole of his boot. However, he did not linger on that point, for he knew from the first day of his new life that, as far as he was concerned, his father considered the greatest force the only appropriate response. And so he scurried away from his father, stopped when his father remained standing, and scampered forward again when his father merely stared. In this way they made their way around the room repeatedly, without anything decisive taking place. In fact, because of the slow pace, it didn't look like a chase. Gregor remained on the floor for the time being, especially since he was afraid that his father could take a flight up onto the wall or the ceiling as an act of real malice. In any event, Gregor had to tell himself that he couldn't keep up this running around for a long time, because whenever his father took a single step, he had to go through an enormous number of movements. Already he was starting to suffer from a shortage of breath, just as in his earlier days when his lungs had been quite unreliable. As he now staggered around in this way in order to gather all his energies for running, hardly keeping his eyes open and feeling so listless that he had no notion at all of any escape other than by running, and had almost forgotten that the walls were available to him, although they were obstructed by carefully carved furniture full of sharp points and spikes, at that moment something or other thrown casually flew down close by and rolled in front of him. It was an apple. Immediately a second one flew after it. Gregor stood still in fright. Further running away was useless, for his father had decided to bombard him. From the fruit bowl on the sideboard his father had filled his pockets, and now, without for the moment taking accurate aim, he was throwing apple after apple. These small red apples rolled around on the floor as if electrified, and collided with each other. A weakly thrown apple grazed Gregor's back, but skidded off harmlessly. However, Another throne immediately after that one drove into Gregor's back really hard. Gregor wanted to drag himself off, as if the unexpected and incredible pain would go away if he changed his position. But he felt as if he was nailed in place and lay stretched out, completely confused in all his senses. Only with his final glance did he notice how the door of his room was pulled open, and how, right in front of his sister, who was yelling, his mother ran out in her undergarments for his sister had undressed her in order to give her some freedom to breathe in her fainting spell, and how his mother then ran up to his father, on the way her tied-up skirts slipped towards the floor one after the other, and how, tripping over her skirts, she hurled herself onto his father and, throwing her arms around him, in complete union with him. But at this moment Gregor's powers of sight gave way, as her hands reached to the back of his father's head, and she begged him, to spare Gregor's life. End of chapter 2